0: hey everybody it's matt thanks for tuning into our growing greater podcast if you're inspired by these stories of innovators and business successes please tell a friend a colleague a neighbor and share a link on social media too let's kick off this episode with a big thank you to the team at pico Advancing smart energy to provide safe, reliable, affordable, and clean energy and energy services for the customers and the communities they serve. This is the focus that the professionals of Pico embrace every day. Pico's legacy? Well, it's their long standing commitment to a culture of excellence, to innovation and learning, and to people, their customers, their communities, and their employees. As the largest electric and natural gas utility in Pennsylvania, the impact the PICO team has is remarkable. Not only do they serve about 1.6 million electric customers and more than 530,000 natural gas customers in southeastern Pennsylvania, their support and their active engagement with community initiatives, it's widespread and it's genuine. PICO is an excellent company and you can learn more at PICO.com. Please join me in thanking PICO for their support of this podcast podcast and their belief in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. This is Growing Greater, Greater. bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Cabry.
1: Where we are today is we're still looking for the floor. We don't know where the bottom of the pandemic is. We don't know where the nadir is. We don't know when we can start moving from containment to reconstruction.
0: As we all navigate these historic times managing the COVID-19 global health emergency and the related containment activities, my team and I hope each of you and your families and your colleagues are safe and healthy and remaining positive. This episode of Growing Greater focuses on, very appropriately, an issue related to the impact of COVID-19, immigration, and how individuals who are working and living in the U.S., but who are not U.S. citizens may need to adjust during this unprecedented situation. At the top of the show, we heard from Jonathan Grode, U.S. practice director at Green and Spiegel, an immigration law firm with operations across North America. With their U.S. headquarters right here in greater Philadelphia, Jonathan and his team are experts on all aspects of immigration law, offering support and guidance for individuals, companies, universities, and other organizations specific to immigration issues. A native of Montgomery County, a beautiful community located just outside of Philadelphia, Jonathan's passion for international affairs was inspired when he was just a teenager through a chance encounter with a Nigerian doctor at a local hospital here in greater Philadelphia where Jonathan was volunteering. Thanks to what grew into a friendship and a mentorship, Jonathan's spark for international culture and travel and ultimately immigration law, it was ignited. As the COVID-19 global pandemic continues to evolve, those non-U.S. citizens who are studying, working, seeking treatment, and otherwise living in this country are encountering increased challenges and uncertainty as borders close, layoffs sweep across the workforce, and containment becomes the main focus for cities and states and countries around the world. Jonathan joined us to share insights and expert guidance on how we collectively can help our neighbors and our colleagues, our friends, and our family members who are part of the immigrant community to navigate that path forward from containment to reconstruction. Here, Jonathan shares what makes his firm stand out from other experts in the legal community.
1: Yeah, certainly. So, Definitely happy to be here and happy to talk about this challenging time and, and hopefully give a little bit of you know, calm some of the nerves out there that we're seeing with respect to status. Green and Spiegel is uniquely positioned because not only do we do United States immigration law, but the firm is actually headquartered out of Toronto, Canada. So I opened the US offices in a partnership with Green and Spiegel in Canada. So we're unique in that we handle all of North American immigration. We have a particular expertise, obviously, dealing with cross border issues between the United States and Canada. We've also been able to expand from our headquarters in Philadelphia to start serving other regions, including New England the Midwest, and the Mountain West, so we have four offices in total in the United States. So we also not only have the ability to deal with cross-border issues for all of North America, but we also are very regionally focused and our practice allows us to focus on types of industries that are common to those particular regions. Because it's federal law, though, and because of the size of the organization, it really allows us to handle any type of projects of any size or scope as well, because we have the resources throughout the firm to address those situations. I think that that's one of the things that really does set Green and Spiegel apart from other immigration firms. And the other thing is, honestly, we really pride ourselves on communication. I mean, to us, that's the most important thing. It's one of these situations where, especially under the current administration and even further amplified by what's going on with COVID-19, that you really, really have to be in touch with people so that they understand what's going on and what they're waiting for. And we are as responsive as we possibly can. We have a rule where you have to get back to somebody within 24 hours, if not instantaneously. This is something that's adhered to by the staff from the receptionist all the way up to the partners in the firm. And I think communication is critical, and you see it in these kinds of circumstances that we're dealing with now. So whether it be directly contacting corporations that we work for, like we've been, for example, Matt, we've been setting up town halls, virtual town halls with all of our larger corporations so that they can address the concerns of their foreign national employees during this time of crisis. People are worried about their status. They're worried about layoffs. They're worried about their green card processes. And we're helping our clients communicate with their employees so that the fear level drops and they can remain as productive as possible during a challenging time. So I think that is something that really sets us apart as well.
0: Absolutely. and you guys are always busy when it comes to immigration law for sure. But these last 10 days, maybe, I say ten days because that's when it's been directly impacting the greater Philadelphia community and, and most of the United States in terms of you know shelter in place and work from home. and what I like to refer to as the containment activities. You know, ten days, ten business days, maybe a little bit longer for some. I suspect that your team has been, tuned into this issue for several months from a global perspective. And I'd love for you to step back, Jonathan, and talk with us a little bit about, you know, are there one or two things that really stand out that you want people to know about how the COVID 19 containment activities are impacting immigration and, and impacting people that, you know, maybe our neighbors, maybe our coworkers, but we don't even necessarily think about it that way until this kind of issue evolves and starts to touch us in very personal ways.
1: Yeah. So we've been really dialed into the COVID 19 situation since late January when they started restricting travel from China. That was the first wave of any sort of efforts used to curtail the spread of the virus. And I think it was done at a time where, like, the federal administration didn't really understand the impact of what was going on. And to be fair, I don't think our local or, you know, statewide leadership did as well. And, and I don't know if anybody could have known at that particular time. But when that 14-day ban on people coming from China to the United States was first put into effect, it, it really sent a ripple wave throughout the global economy and people's ability to be mobile, to be able to move, you know, and you fast forward from January 28th to where we are now, which is like, what, seven, eight weeks and the ramp up has been incredible and we're dealing with a lot of situations where people are frightened primarily about their status. You know, if I'm here as a visitor, if I came in on the visa waiver program, which is just traveling on your passport, how do I extend my status if I'm not able to travel home? Obviously, the airlines are canceling flights. We have United States citizens, you know, trapped in different parts of the world. And those are types of cases that we're dealing with now, too, like helping them get in touch with U.S citizen services and embassies around the world to get, you know, emergency evacuations. So we've gone from a posture in a very short period of time that we've gone from a posture of trying to help maintain business as normal to trying to protect people's abilities to remain in the United States or to return to the United States. Now, I would say that the federal government has on Friday really put in, or, you know, last week, really put into place some common sense provisions that I think it's really important for the greater Philadelphia community to understand. One of the challenges that we've been facing with this administration is the ramp-up and removal proceedings. And, Matt, that's for people that don't have status in the United States, maybe they were a visa overstay or something like that, where they just don't have a legal ability to remain in the U.S., The Trump administration has been very, very heavy on enforcement. I think you might even remember a story from a few weeks ago where somebody was picked up outside of a Philadelphia public school for not having status. The federal administration has made a very clear statement that they will not be looking for foreign nationals that are here merely for overstays. They're still going to be seeking out criminals, people that have entered the United States multiple times without permission. But in terms of people that are overstays, people that have lost their status for whatever reason but are non-criminal aliens, they should not fear being removed from the United States. The other really, really important one from a health and human services perspective is that they've made a declaration that even if you don't have insurance, even if you're here without status, if you need to go and get tested for COVID-19, if you need to seek treatment for anything related to the coronavirus that that will not be held against you in the future for any immigration processing, even if it is a public benefit that you're taking. And taking public benefits can cause problems for immigrants. So the government has really relaxed a lot of those standards to make it easier to help fight the coronavirus and its spread.
0: I love the terminology that you use, Jonathan, common sense practices that are being implemented, especially in these unique situations where we're all experiencing, we're all in this together, a global healthcare crisis. So I'm glad to hear that, and it makes really good sense. And to your point, for someone who is here in the U.S. with his or her family for education or work-specific duties they have to be feeling much more comfortable now that the government is approaching this with those kinds of common sense tactics.
1: Yeah. And, you know, even though local offices like the USCIS office in West Philadelphia is closed, the federal processing centers remain open. So if you're here and you get laid off or you're furloughed or anything like that, we can file applications Directly to one of these service centers to maintain your status. So, there are ways for even people that are on H 1B or L visa or another working visa classification where they can get their stay extended, even though we might not be able to save their employment authorization in the short term.
0: Yeah, so I want to talk about impact a little bit, Jonathan, and this can be specific to COVID 19 or it can be impact for another, what I would classify as kind of a non-emergency situation, although I suspect a lot of the work you do in immigration law does take on an air of emergency or at the very least urgency. And I'd love for you to share with us a story, if you can, about the impact that you and your team have had when it comes to an employee-related situation or a client who is really thriving thanks to the role that you and your team have played in helping them navigate this immigration world?
1: Well, I think right now we're more in the emergency posture than anything else as far as, like, status goes. I mean, we are working with a lot of employers and helping them understand the consequences of, you know, adverse employment actions that they might have to take given the circumstances to businesses. The stories I like to tell under normal time, though, and the ones that I find most inspired by, are we work with a lot of new company startups. We work with a lot of people that have ideas, and they want to develop those ideas, and they recognize that the United States is one of the best places to do it because not only of the talent that we have available, but because of the venture capital money. And it's inspiring people with ideas to like use the immigration system to start their own enterprises that really to me is the most remarkable. Many years ago when I started my practice, there was a guy at Wharton who had an idea for disrupting certain aspects of the apparel industry through online virtual fits, you know, where you would actually have like this experience and this was back in 2010, so it was pretty novel. But he took that idea, and it was him and a partner, and now he runs a company with 300 employees, overseas offices, and it's really been a huge boon for the area and the economy. Working with researchers from Penn that have ideas on novel biomedical devices or technologies that are going to impact and improve the country at large, I mean, helping those individuals go from researchers to entrepreneurs themselves is something that pays dividends both to the community and to me personally. I see a lot of joy in those situations and allowing them to understand that if you take a pragmatic approach to your immigration, regardless of the administration in play, then you will succeed and you will be able to direct and develop your own enterprise. And to me, that's been some of the greatest inspirations. You know, one of the other cool things is because of the size of the firm we're able to do, we're able to do a lot of pro bono work as well when we think it's a meritorious cause. So, you know, back in January of 2017, you remember Trump placed that first travel ban. You know, my firm was able to work on a pro bono basis with some Syrian families, Christian Syrian families from the Lehigh Valley and help you know, navigate a situation where they were refused admission to the United States. We worked with the local government. We worked with Governor Wolf's office. We even worked with Republican congressional members to craft a way to get that family back and help with that scourge. So to be able to have like an integral part in dealing with that crisis also was very rewarding. So, I mean, the scope and and play of immigration and just in that example that I told you there with working from people from Europe as well as working from people from the, the Middle East. I mean, the ability to really interact with so many people and help on different levels is inspirational to me
0: i bet and i suspect that the direct impact that you can have on a person's life let alone a project or the development of a product it has to be really satisfying for you and your team to have such a significant influence on shaping next steps if you will that allow people to thrive and focus on what their task at hand is and speaking of task at hand i do want to shift to the moment of the day if you will as we've been talking Mm -hmm. about And bring it back to COVID-19 just for a moment. You know, I have a neighbor who works for a pharmaceutical company and he and his family are from Germany. There's a colleague I know who is from China and greater Philadelphia. Many of us recognize this lots of educational institutions lots of life sciences companies and frankly in fairness to other major metropolitan areas across north america most urban areas most metropolitan areas there's a high concentration of international guests and colleagues who are living and working here i say temporarily it could be for years depending on you know the process that they go through to renew their status if you will and where I'm going with all this, Jonathan, is I'd love for you to talk a little bit more specifically for non-U.S. citizens who are in the U.S. right now and dealing with this COVID-19 containment situation. What's the best advice you can share with folks like that? Yeah,
1: it's. I mean, to be honest with you, it's really tough because where we are today on March 24th is we're still looking for the floor. You know, we don't know where the bottom of the pandemic is. We don't know where the nadir is. We don't know when we can start moving from containment to reconstruction. And that causes a lot of issues from like a business perspective to individuals' perspectives with the insecurity of not only their livelihood, but if you're a foreign national, your ability to remain in the United States. And I think that that is what's really hard. What's inspiring so far is the reaction from the community at large, for the most part. There is a true sense of everybody being in this together, not only in Philadelphia, not only in the United States, but this is a worldwide pandemic. So, the ability for people to band together and hopefully understand that if we all get on board with this idea of containment, then the more quickly we can get back to business as usual. For the individuals, what I like to say is, you know, if you're working in the healthcare industry, if you're doing things that are of critical importance to the commonwealth and to the race for curing containment, keep doing it. I mean, there's nothing that's going to stop you from doing that if you're employed and your visa remains valid. More than that, though, is I've been telling people not to worry about their status. If you get laid off, if you get furloughed, there are ways that, and we've kind of said this before during this call, but there are ways that we can maintain your status. There's ways that we can help. Employers recognize this, and they're reaching out to their council and are trying to craft ways that they can have the least impact. I've had multiple calls with some of the larger corporations that we represent and talking about responsible ways to maintain the business while not affecting the underlying status of foreign nationals. It is a topic of discussion. It is something that is being taken seriously. So I think that those are the main takeaways. Hopefully this is temporary. Hopefully the economy rebounds quickly. But until we can kind of get our feet on the ground a little bit and see where that terra firma is, and I think that's going to Happen hopefully sooner rather than later. It's one of these things where all we can do is inform people of the avenues available to really maintain themselves personally and then work on employment and maintaining those other aspects of life that are absolutely
0: necessary. We'll be back with more from Jonathan in just a moment. But first, let's thank the team at TD Bank for their support of our podcast and for helping us attract new businesses, jobs and talent to our collective community. As one of the 10 largest banks in the U.S., TD Bank has deep roots dating back more than 150 years, and their more than 26,000 employees are helping small businesses, middle market companies, and large corporate customers from across all industries. You can learn more at tdbank.com. And join me in thanking TD Bank for their support of our Growing Greater podcast and for their belief in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Jonathan Grode of Green and Spiegel. Jonathan, I want to bring it back to kind of a big picture type of story, regardless of what's happening right now with the COVID-19 containment activities here and across the country and across the world. Let's talk a little bit more about next steps for Green and Spiegel. Where do you see Green and Spiegel in the next three, five, 10 years from now?
1: So it's interesting that you raise that point because one of the things that I've learned as somebody who's in the business of law, you know, beyond the practice of law, is that you, you need to have short, medium, and long-term goals. And those medium and long-term goals in particular shouldn't waver too much, even when we're dealing with something as unprecedented as the current pandemic. You know, you, your timelines might change, the method you take to get there might change. But ultimately, as a firm, those goals have not altered. And one of the things that we started working on prior to the outbreak was uh, setting up our first European office. I believe that in particular, when it comes to the Philadelphia region and our growing biotech and life sciences entrepreneurial community, that that connection between Europe and Philadelphia is going to become more critical as we move forward. So having an office located within that time zone, within the European Union, so that we can better serve that connection in real time with companies that want to expand from there to the Philadelphia region is something that we're putting a lot of focus on. So we will hopefully have that up and running. You know, we had to push back our time frame a little bit. It was supposed to be in Q2 of this year. We're now looking at Q3 or Q4 but it's something that we fundamentally believe in. As far as the firm goes, you know, obviously we want to continue to grow and have a larger footprint in the United States, but we want to continue diversifying the range of clients that we serve. You know, we already work with a lot of people in the healthcare sector, a lot of hospitals, a lot of researchers. We want to continue that push. And on on a personal level, you know, as far as Philadelphia goes, we really enjoy our partnership with the city and the local institutions that are facilitating the same mission that we have. And I think that that honestly, Matt, is what makes Philadelphia a very unique place if businesses are looking to expand from overseas is that here in Philadelphia, there's a tremendous network of people that are willing to assist. You don't have to figure out how to do it on your own. When you enter the region and you start looking at setting your business up here, the resources that Select provides, the resources that the mayor's office provides, they are, I believe, unparalleled as it comes to a regional economic development engine. You know, as an older city that's trying to redefine itself, reutilizing space that has been underutilized in the past, we have the resources available to accommodate a lot of these enterprises. And through a network of whether it be real estate professionals, city officials, or attorneys who can facilitate international business, Philadelphia is uniquely situated, and I am really proud that Green and Spiegel is able to be a part of that overarching objective for the region.
0: I couldn't agree with you more, Jonathan, not only on the Green and Spiegel being part of it, but the spirit of collaboration and the willingness of organizations to help each other, whether it's through business, civic, academic partnerships, it is really special. And it's one of the things that really defines the greater Philadelphia region as a special place to establish and grow a company and a career. I want to wrap up with a final question that really brings it back to the spirit of our program, Growing Greater, both professionally and personally. And I'd love for you to take us back to kind of your moment in time and how you help young people who are sitting in the same chair that you were sitting in back in the mid 90s, or maybe even earlier than that. And certainly in your college years and your law school years, what kind of advice do you share with a young person who comes to you and says, you know, I'm not really quite sure what I want to do. I love this or I love that. And I have a passion for international issues and global affairs or whatever the case may be. When you step back and you're providing guidance to a young person, how do you shape that? And what kind of advice do you share with him or her?
1: Yeah, I do get asked often to talk to people that are interested in the law or international business. And I mean, the first thing I always tell people is you're on nobody's timetable, but your own. I think there's a lot of pressure for people to get to a certain place by a certain time. And I don't think that really just jives for everybody. I mean, for me, you know, I don't think I would be as good of an immigration attorney as I am if I hadn't spent that time traveling the world and getting a little bit of a firsthand appreciation of where people come from. That delayed me going to law school. I was 27 when I went to law school, or 28, I can't remember. But I waited. I went to school at night. I kept working. That worked for me. And, you know, by having experience in the immigration field before going to school, understanding that this is the area that I wanted to practice in, getting that international exposure, I think it allowed me to graduate and put me leaps ahead of where I would have been if I had just entered school directly. And I think that understanding that you have to carve your own path, that you shouldn't really feel compelled to do things at certain times because that's what you perceive you should do is, is really important in guiding people. You know, we have a long career when we work, and I think understanding that getting to the right place in the right career is more important than how quickly you get there really does lead to a lot of better functionality within the workforce, but also happiness. And other advice that I give people is, at least for me, and we kind of talked about it a little bit today, is uh, be goal-oriented. Try to be proactive. Set targets for yourself. And even if you don't achieve them or they're delayed or if you change course, working towards something as opposed to reacting to situations, I think leads to greater happiness. And finally, when it comes to law school, and I think law school is – A spectacular decision for many, many people because it gives you a really unique perspective on the way the world works and how to function within the world. But don't go to law school without an idea of what you want to do. The legal marketplace has not been the same since 2008. It's not like you're automatically guaranteed a job. And getting that work experience in before you actually decide to go to law school, I think, will really pay dividends in the long run. So that's some of the advice. But honestly, the other thing is, is just trying to make yourself available. You know, when people write to me, whether it be former students or I'm introduced by somebody and they say, hey, would you talk to this person? I always try to set aside the time. I really do, because, you know, throughout my life, as I've told you, you know, people have taken the time to give me that attention. And I think it's critical to give that attention back.
0: Jonathan and his team at Green and Spiegel always do amazing work, helping organizations and individuals navigate immigration issues, and their expertise is more crucial than ever. And we here at Select Greater Philadelphia, we're very proud of the impact that Jonathan's team is having on the lives of people from across our Greater Philadelphia community and from around the country and around the world. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review our podcast, share it with friends and colleagues and family, and through social media. Tune in to other episodes of Growing Greater at radio.com, wherever you listen to your podcasts, or at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast. As we wrap this episode of Growing Greater, I want you to know it's made possible thanks in part to the team at Drexel University. The faculty staff and leadership of Drexel University they believe in our mission and without their highly engaged support of our work we could not do what we do every day to attract and cultivate the businesses and the talent that are driving growth across our collective community founded in 1891 Drexel is a comprehensive global research university with a unique model of experiential learning that combines academic rigor with one of the nation's premier cooperative education programs. Drexel is one of the region's top 10 private employers with multiple campuses across Southeastern Pennsylvania. Learn more about Drexel University at drexel.edu and join me in thanking Drexel University for their support of our podcast. Growing Greater is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania, and helps to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our region. Special thanks to our program producers, Elena Karmazin and Maricela Juarez, along with the great team of marketing and creative services professionals at our chamber. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in anytime and anywhere you get your podcasts or online at selectgreaterphl.com podcast.